He is risen. He is risen indeed. I don't get tired of that. Imagine for a moment being Mary, or really any of the disciples, in that first moment that they set eyes on the resurrected Jesus. Imagine being Mary, the shock that must have come over her, the joy when she saw Jesus alive. The kind of hope and light that must have come over her heart and her face as she realized that her Savior was not dead, but alive. As the disciples realized that their friend who was dead was now alive. That Jesus, their Savior, their hope, who they understood as God in the flesh, the Savior who was ushering in the eternal kingdom of God, that he had died and their hopes with him, but now he was alive, smiling, and standing right in front of them. Imagine. Sally Lloyd-Jones, in her Jesus Storybook Bible, imagines Mary, who is the first one to see Jesus after his resurrection, processing this astounding joy as she ran to tell the disciples, right? Jesus said, go tell the disciples, so she runs. And Sally Lloyd-Jones imagines this scene. This is what she says. Mary ran and ran all the way to the city. She had never run so fast or so far in all her life. She felt she could have run forever. She didn't even feel like her feet touched the ground. The sun seemed to be dancing and gleaming and bouncing across the sky, racing with her and shining brighter than she could ever remember in the clear, fresh air. And it seemed to her that morning, as she ran, almost as if the whole world had been made anew. Almost as if the whole world was singing for joy. The trees, tiny sounds in the grass, the birds, her heart. Was God really making everything sad come untrue? Was he really making even death come untrue? And the reality, of course, is that beginning with the resurrection of Jesus, God really is making everything sad come untrue. And that's what I want us to see this morning. That through the resurrection of Jesus, God is bringing into the world a chain reaction of resurrection that will not stop until Christ makes everything new. This really is the gospel of the resurrection of Jesus. It's the message of the apostles as they ran and ran and ran, right? Not just throughout Jerusalem, but through the whole of the ancient world, declaring to anyone who would hear, Jesus is alive, and you can live in him. It was the message of the early church of the apostles. It's been the message of the church down throughout the ages. It's the message of Christians around the world, even today, on Easter morning, that Jesus is alive, and that Jesus is bringing us along with him into his resurrection life or in other words hope for new life doesn't stop on Easter it only begins there or in other words resurrection is spreading and that's our main idea this morning Jesus's resurrection power is spreading as we'll consider this morning there 
there is great darkness in our hearts. There is great weakness in these mortal bodies. There is great brokenness in this shattered and sin-sick world. But our hope in the midst of this darkness is that Jesus' resurrection power is spreading. And I want to consider three ways that that's true this morning. Three great hopes that we can trust in if we trust in Jesus. First, that Jesus is bringing our hearts to life. Second, that Jesus will bring our very bodies to life. And third, that Jesus will make our whole world new. Hearts, bodies, the whole world. I'd like to pray as we begin this morning. I'm going to use a a prayer that's been prayed for many years on Easter morning. Almighty God, who through your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, overcame death and opened to us the gate of everlasting life, grant that we who celebrate with joy the day of the Lord's resurrection may, by your life-giving Spirit, be delivered from sin and raised from death through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Jesus' resurrection power is spreading, and it starts with our hearts. It starts with our hearts. People make all kinds of assumptions about what's wrong at the core with the human race. What's wrong with the world? What's wrong with our families? What's wrong with the society? Some people say that the core problem is ignorance and that by education, we can perfect ourselves. Some people say the core problem with the world and with our hearts is trauma and that the fix that will really get us there is is some form of therapy. Some people say that the problem is social that the structures of our societies are broken and that the fix to the world will be engineering just the right social structure. You can go, go on with the list of the Gospels that are preached throughout the world of this is the fix, this is what will get us there. And don't, don't misunderstand me. Ignorance, trauma, and social dysfunction are real problems. These are, these are real bruises in the world. But the core problem, that's what I want us to consider this morning. What's really at the root of it all? And the core problem, the cancerous wound at the bottom of our hearts, the dark problem with this world beneath all other darknesses is that our hearts are spiritually dead to God. In the beginning, when the world was young, you know this story, the serpent lured our first parents into a death trap, lured Adam and Eve into death, not by planting landmines or stringing up trip wires, but by luring them into sin, by convincing them that rebellion from God was the true path to life by convincing them that love and obedience to God was actually stifling and restrictive. He convinced them of a lie, 
He convinced them that eating the death fruit would actually bring life and that following the God of life would actually bring death. He broke their brains and darkened their hearts. And we're their children, each one of us. We've inherited this heart disease, and it's called sin. Our hearts are darkened to the light and life of God. And the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2 describes this condition as as a kind of spiritual death. He says we're dead, in a sense, though we may be walking and talking and eating and breathing. If we're still in our sins, if we're darkened to God, we're actually dead. Ephesians 2, verse 1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. If Paul's right here, if the word of God stands true on this issue, what we need as a race and what we need as individuals is more than education or therapy or social restructuring or anything we can do by human effort. According to scripture, we need heart resurrection. The reason for our broken families, broken marriages, and broken society is our dead and broken hearts. We don't need a little help here or there. We need new life. We need to be forgiven of our sin, washed from this darkness, and awakened to the light and life of the God who made us. And the hope and the promise of Easter The hope and the promise of the gospel is that this kind of heart resurrection is actually possible, not by any human effort or scheme, but by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Listen to these words, these are beautiful words, which God spoke many years before the coming of Christ through the prophet Ezekiel. Listen to these words of God almost as a promise to you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. What a promise. What a promise. That God would actually come down into this weary and sin-sick world where we'd all set our faces against him and he was actually going to open up our hearts and do heart surgery to take our dark and hardened hearts from us and to implant in us new and living hearts to awaken us to the life and light of God once again. And that promise began to be fulfilled in the days after Christ's resurrection. When you open your Bible and you begin to read the chapters after Christ's resurrection, that's when things really start happening. It's astounding, particularly in the book of Acts, how 
God, by his Holy Spirit, just starts showing up again and again and again, blowing in to rebellious hearts, removing the heart of stone and replacing it with hearts soft to God. Death to the old dead heart, life to the new living heart. The resurrection power of Christ applied to the human heart. And that is the work that God has been doing through his church among people like us in places like this for the last 2,000 years. From one angle, this is actually just what it means to be a Christian. To have a heart which has been awakened to God and is being awakened to God. To have a heart that has been made alive in the Spirit of God and is being made alive in the Spirit of God. And this is why we baptize people, right? This is why we dunk people into Lake St. George, right? That's what the picture is. When we're baptized, we're actually buried under the water. And then we're brought back out, which is weird for a grave, right? Baptism is a strange kind of grave, but it's just the kind of grave we need. It's a picture of our old selves, our old dark hearts being buried under the water, buried in Christ, crucified in the power of Christ's death, and of our new selves bursting out of the grave with new spiritual life in Christ. Paul here in Romans 6 verse 3, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. This is the resurrection that Jesus promises us by his Holy Spirit. I'd want to encourage you this morning, if you're here, and you feel like you're languishing in the spiritual death of this dark world, you don't need to stay in the darkness one moment longer. If even this morning you are coming awake to your need for Christ, to the reality of your sin, to your need again to walk with your creator if you're becoming aware even this morning of your need for spiritual resurrection then you are just where Jesus wants you and Christ holds out his hand to you even today with the offer of life of a resurrected heart John 6 verse 35 Jesus says to you I am the bread of life Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He says, I am life. Have life in me. And then he continues with this incredible promise. He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. I want you to consider this morning, it may be that Christ has his hand on your life and you may be resisting, but he is pulling you. And watch out because he might not let you go. But then a twin promise. 
All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. This is the promise of Jesus. If you are hungry for spiritual life, go to him this morning, and he will not turn you away. Run to Christ. Go to him in prayer. Plead with him to pour out the Spirit into your heart, to lift the darkness from you, to nail it to the cross. Plead with him to to bring the dawn of resurrection on your heart and life. A new heart, a new spirit, a resurrected life in Jesus. And we who are in Christ, this is our prayer continually, right? Lord, keep bringing my heart to life. I need you. It's almost like breathing. I need your spirit every day. I need new life. Bring me to life in Jesus. Jesus' resurrection power is spreading. First, to our hearts but not just our hearts. Second, Jesus will bring our bodies to life. The most obvious symptom of the spiritual deadness of humanity is actually the decay and death of our bodies. It's a reality we'll all have to face. We all will die as surely as the sun will rise tomorrow. A day will come, maybe sooner, maybe later, that our bodies will give way. To disease or to injury or to exhaustion, our bodies will die. Some of us who are sicker or weaker than others are more keenly aware of this than others, but all of us face this same reality, we are mortal. But our physical deaths are really only symptoms of the real problem our bodies die because we're already dead in the darkness of sin. We're like lilies in a vase. There's still some life left in our petals, but ultimately we've already been cut off from that life which is really life. Romans 6 verse 23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. The wage, the just return, the righteous reward for our rebellion against God and against light and against life. And that's what sin is. It's rebellion against God and life and light. I don't want God and life and light. I want darkness. That's what we say when we sin. And the righteous judgment on that is, is death. God has given us his world And we've said, I don't want life, I want death. And God is righteous to let us have it. But God is more than righteous. Praise God that he is also merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Many of you know that Romans 6, verse 23, does not end with death, but with life. Let's read the whole verse. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Even in the face of our rebellion and our darkness, God, in his mercy, has held out an olive branch of eternal life. He's held out Jesus. And not just new life in our hearts. That alone would be enough to astound us. 
But the promise of the gospel is that if we've been given new life in our hearts through the resurrection of Christ, God will also give us new life in our bodies through the resurrection of Christ. Romans 8 verse 9 says this, Paul, speaking to those who've been brought to life in Christ spiritually, he says, you, however, are not in the flesh but in the spirit if, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. He's saying your heart's been made alive, and if that's true, verse 10, if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. This is our condition. And every time we have a cough, every time we get a cut, we're reminded our bodies are mortal. And as Christians we know, our hearts are are made alive, our bodies are still dying. But here's here's the hope, verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. You see what he's saying? He says, if you're a Christian, If the Spirit of God lives in you, then what lives in you is that very Spirit which raised Jesus from the dead. And if that Spirit is in us, He will surely also raise our bodies from the grave as well. First Corinthians 15, verse 20 speaks of Christ as the first fruits of the resurrection. But in fact, the Apostle Paul says, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are fallen asleep. First fruits means the deposit, the down payment. It's just the beginning, just the foretaste. What Paul is saying is, Jesus' resurrection is just the beginning. That's just the first. Verse 21, he says, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. He said, In Adam we all die. In Adam, we all sin. He says, but if you're in Christ, if you're in Christ, you'll be made alive. As by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And this is the amazing assurance we can have if we belong to Christ. Not only is God renewing our hearts day by day, but God will also renew our bodies one day at the return of Christ. Paul speaks about this in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 52. He tells us this, For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? And this is the promise of life after death in Jesus. Not of eternal life floating somewhere in the the gray nether as a disembodied spirit, but of a resurrection day when our bodies will be raised from the dead, 
freed from all sickness and pain, free from entropy and decay, free from sin and death, raised to life with Christ and all who are his in his eternal kingdom. Or in other words, the resurrection of Jesus is spreading. The resurrection of Jesus is catching. It's viral. Watch out. It's in the air. So let me ask you a question. On that day, on that resurrection day, where will you be found? Will you be found glorying in the light and life of God in Jesus Christ? Or will you be found still clinging to darkness and fear and death? On your last day, when you face that great dragon death, what will you cling to in the face of that dark enemy? This week I ran across the chilling account of the death of Joseph Stalin, who in 1953 died after three decades of cruelly ruling the Soviet Union with an iron fist. He's a man who's personally responsible for the murder of millions of souls. And his daughter, Svetlana, who was present at his death, remembers it like this. These are her words. My father died a difficult and terrible death. God grants an easy death only to the just. At what seemed the very last moment, he suddenly opened his eyes and cast a glance over everyone in the room. It was a terrible glance, insane or perhaps angry and full of fear of death. Then he lifted his left hand as though he were pointing to something above. The gesture was full of menace. And the next moment, the spirit wrenched itself free of the flesh. It's a terrible thing to face the darkness of death with no hope. Compare that scene to the words of the Puritan preacher Richard, Richard Baxter, which he spoke as he lay dying with his family around him. I have, said he, great pain. There is no use arguing that. He was sick and dying. He's in great physical pain. I have great pain. There is no use arguing that. I care not. I have peace. Peace. I have peace. I care not. I have peace. Peace. I have peace. What a thing it is to have peace in the valley of the shadow of death. I want us to understand very clearly that the difference between Stalin and Baxter is not that Stalin was a bad man and that Baxter was a good one. So the good man had peace with God when the bad man didn't. Both of these men are sinners born under the curse of darkness and death. The difference between these men is that Baxter had faith in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Baxter's heart had been softened from stone by the Spirit of God and his sins had been nailed to the cross of Christ and he knew as he lay dying that the day was coming when Christ would raise his body from the dead. It's hope in the resurrection of Christ that brings peace in the face of death, 
nothing else. Do you know that peace? Here again, the invitation of Christ, this time from John 11, beginning in verse 25. And Jesus speaks to us even this morning and tells us, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Then Jesus asked Martha this question, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Jesus is not dead. He is alive, and his resurrection power is spreading. Do you believe this? Spreading to our hearts, spreading to our bodies. Finally, ultimately, we believe that Jesus will make our whole world new. Our whole world. The darkness of the bondage of sin has affected not only our hearts and our bodies, but the whole of creation. Ever since the garden, ever since the fall, ever since our rebellion against the light and life of God, the whole of creation has been groaning under the curse of sin. Romans 8, verse 20, Paul tells us this, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself, the cosmos itself, will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The whole world labors under the curse of our sin, and the promise of Scripture is that the resurrection power of Jesus won't stop just at our hearts or at our bodies, but that the resurrection power of Jesus will go rolling on until God makes the cosmos new. Revelation 21, verse 5. The promise of God, Behold, I am making all things new. We're surrounded by reminders that this world and its creator is incredibly beautiful. Everything from the green shimmer on our rooster's black feathers to the taste of bacon in my eggs every morning, to the warmth of sun on our faces, to the smell of spring in the air, points to the good design of a good creator. The taste of carrot cake and the way people's eyes crinkle when they laugh and the thunder and the lightning and the haunting beauty of the moon all shout to us, this world is really good. But it is also fallen cancer and coffins and stillborns and abortions and dementia and genocide all cry out things are not as they should be things are not as they should be this is the tension we're caught in in this beautiful and broken world And so in the face of all those things that cry out, things are not as they should be, the words of God from the throne should ring wonderful in our ears. Behold, I am making all things new. Those words come 
just after a vision given to the Apostle John of the resurrection of all things in Revelation 21, which begins with these words. This is what John saw. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Behold, I am making all things new. Friends, whether we know it or not, we have been born into a world in the midst of a great cosmic resurrection. You live in a world on the verge of being reborn. You live in a cosmos which is under a dark curse which will soon be lifted. And the great question on this resurrection day, the great question really of your life is this, will you be part of it? This world is being remade. Will you be on the side of resurrection or on the side of the darkness that is passing away? Will you cling to the resurrected Savior or will you go down clinging to sin and death? This is the great choice which is offered to all of us. Even this morning you have heard the personal invitation of Christ. So the question is now in your hands, do you believe it? Do you believe it? Hear Christ's words again. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Believe it. Believe it and live. And when you do, it may seem to you almost as it did to Mary, almost as if the whole world had been made anew, almost as if the whole world was singing for joy. The trees, tiny sounds in the grass, the birds, her heart. Was God really making everything sad come untrue? Was he really making even death come untrue? He is. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. And we and all things are being raised with him. Amen? Let's stand together and sing. Praise God from whom all blessings
through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.